Father, just thank you for your gracious goodness. Thank you for your mercy that you continually extend to undeserving people like us. And Lord, we pray this morning as we come to your scriptures, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive, that it is active, that it is able to accomplish the purpose that you desire it to achieve in us and through us. So we just pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, come and do whatever you desire to do. Give us listening ears to hear what it is that the Spirit is saying to us personally and as your people in this place this morning. We just pray that we'd know you and love you more as your name is proclaimed and exalted in our midst today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you came in late, we're heading to 1 Peter. I think we made it through the first two verses last time we were there. Let me just quickly, by way of review, mention that this letter, of course, is written by the Apostle Peter, and Peter makes it very clear the purpose for which he wrote this letter. He says in chapter 5, verse 12, I've written to exhort and to declare, some translations say, to proclaim this true grace. There's many substitutes, there is many imitations, but there is a true grace that Peter proclaims to us. And as he continues, he says, that you may be established, that you may be firmly planted in this grace. And as we mentioned last time, if anybody was to write a letter about grace, who would be better qualified to write on the topic than the Apostle Peter? He was a man who was found by grace as a colorful Galilean fisherman, invited into the greatest story in human history. A man who experienced the grace that reached down to lift him as he sunk into the waves. A grace that reached out to restore him when he fell spectacularly. And this grace that, of course, empowered him to live one of the most influential lives that anyone has and probably ever will live. If you think about it, 2,000 years later, we are still reading his stories, his writings, recognizing them as the inspired Word of God. I get excited if someone listens to my sermon a week or two later. That was a joke. It's okay. I'm dealing with my issues. But this is a life of incredible fruitfulness, incredible display of the Lord's gracious goodness. And so who better to learn from than the Apostle Peter about this true grace? So let's read together. Verse 3. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ! Exclamation mark. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Say born again. Born again. He has caused us to be born again. Now that, I know we're partway through a verse, but that will be our focus this morning. But just to get the flow of what he's saying, let's quickly continue and finish off the passage. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded. What power is guarding your life? Isn't that a wonderful thought? Who by God's own 
power. How much power does he have? Because that's guarding your life. Let's move on. Through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen Him, you love Him, though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, inexpressible joy filled with glory. I've no idea what that is, but it sounds good. Obtaining, verse 9, the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And on he continues. Now, for those who weren't here last time, we noted that Peter begins this letter talking about true grace in a very specific way. He reminds his readers, he reminds us today, exactly what God has done for them. What God has done for us, he begins and says, to those who were elect, that word means chosen, according to his foreknowledge and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, for sprinkling with his blood. That phrase there literally means to enter into a covenant with, that you would become his covenant people, his prized possession, his beloved ones. So he begins, he says, this is the beginning point of true grace. It's discovering what God has done for us. Remember who you are and whose you are. But he follows that up here, and I would express it this way. He moves from what God has done for us to what God has done in us. His first great work was his choosing, his preordained purpose and plan. His second great work is this causing of us to be born again. This is the journey, the journey, and these are two themes that we'll see continually throughout the letter as he'll go on to talk about what it is that God wants to do through us. It begins with this recognition of what he's done for us and the reality, experiencing the reality of what he has done in us. What he has done in us. And you see this theme even right from the opening introduction here, chapter 1. He says, to those who are the elect exiles. They're two words that don't normally go together, do they? The chosen exiles. That word for exiles means sojourners. It could mean refugees. It means a people living in, the, in, in a land that is not their own. Now, he's not necessarily talking to a people who were refugees in the physical sense of the word. In fact, he goes on verse 11 of chapter 2. He says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. He's talking about a spiritual state, that something has happened in them. Something has happened in them that's so radical, that's so revolutionary, that they've literally become exiles or refugees in their own land. Just think about that for a minute. I'm sure all of us have had travel experiences where you arrive in a foreign place, you can't read the menu, you think you're ordering chicken, and you find out that it's definitely not anything that had feathers. Move on. You've read the signs and perhaps taken a wrong turn. You don't read the language. You can't speak and communicate to people. 
Who's had one of those experiences? Tell me I'm not alone. My wife and I had a real doozy at one point. I think I've shared this story before when we happened to be traveling around and we went to the Greek islands. We'd seen a number of the main tourist spots and we thought, well, we'll go and visit this particular island. It was promoted as the Greek island with the best beaches. If you see that promotion run, run quickly. So we arrived there and it was one of those moments we we just thought we'd won the lottery. It was a beautiful resort and, you know, we couldn't read any of the signs on the way there. We couldn't even really read the travel brochure other than we gathered that it had good beaches. So we checked in, we put our luggage in the hotel room, we walked out and then my wife grabbed me by the arm. As soon as we got outside, she said, honey, nobody's wearing any clothes. And there we were in the middle of Greece's premier nudist resort. (laughs) She says to me, honey, what do we do? What on earth do we do? She's panicking. I said, well, when in Rome, you know, when in Rome. That's not what I said. So he is saying in a very different way that literally something has transpired in us. God has done all this for us, but something has happened in us that is so radical that all of a sudden nobody speaks the same language. There's different desires, there's different values, there is different identities. And he describes this in verse 3 as we read, as the new birth, that we are a people who have been born again. Okay, so what does this mean? Very quickly, we could do a series on new birth. Let's just look very quickly at what has been done. And given the fact that it's a new birth, or sometimes we call it a second birth, I'm sure we can glean some insights into our first, our first, our physical, our natural birth. So what does a birth in general speak to us of? Number one, there's two things. It speaks to us of life. If you've gone through that process of having children or seen someone who does... It is truly life's greatest miracle as you see this little life form that's growing within you. The first time you go as parents to see a scan and you're like, oh, there's actually a person in there. It's incredible. You can see their arms and they've got 10 fingers, thank you, Lord, and 10 toes and all their members. And it's, it's an incredible miracle, even recognized by science, the wonder and miracle of life. This multiplication of cells, science tells us that we have, they don't even know, somewhere between 15 trillion and 150 trillion cells in your body. And each one of these is a complex system. We could talk about our DNA. We could talk about our optic system, our nervous system, the neurological system, all these aspects that make up life. It truly is a miracle. It's a miracle. You are a walking, talking miracle, purposed in the heart of your Father before the foundation of the world. I mean, that alone is an incredible thought, just worth allowing it to soak in. But you see, that is the very same picture of what happens in the spiritual. You see, we are born physically, you are alive, you may not feel it, depending what sort of week you've had. But you are alive. You are physically alive as you sit in this room today. However, Scripture tells us that although you have had physical birth, each of you have, that we are born spiritually dead. Ephesians 2.1 says you are dead in your trespasses and sin. Spiritually, we're dead. Not sick, not in need of some help, 
some assistance, but in fact in need of a rebirth. And see, this is the wonder that the gospel offers us new life. New life, not just a better one, not just a few patches on the old, not just a few good philosophies and tips to help you deal better with the circumstances and situation that face you. The Bible says you need to be born again. This is the incredible offer of the gospel of what God wants to do in us. You see, the reality is we can only ever live according to our nature. Let me illustrate it this way. We've had an increase of animals on the Baker farm with the addition of two little ducklings. How many people have had ducklings? A few of us. Well, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But ducklings are these adorable little creatures. And all of my kids have loved, we've had little baby chicks, and they've loved the chickens to a certain degree. I mean, the chickens are practical, and they make eggs and manure for the... But they've never really got attached to the chickens as, as pets. Whereas these ducklings from day one, well, they were the most pampered little creatures you would ever find. And they'd take these little ducks for walks and they'd hand feed them and I'm sure they smelled like perfume as they'd decorate. I don't know what they did. But these ducks, I'm convinced, thought that they were part of the family. In fact, one day they do have a little cage. I haven't let them inside the house. But they escaped from their cage and we found them just pecking at the front door. Like, hey, let me in. I'm part of the family. See, what's the point? The point is this. Doesn't matter how you treat a duck, you can pamper a duck, you can perfume a duck, you can even serve it up on a platter on the table. Don't tell my kids I said that. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Duck pancakes are from the Lord. Doesn't matter what you do with a duck, it will always remain a duck. We can only ever live according to our nature. There is this fundamental problem with Sin. Not the sin out there, but the sin that's in here. And the Lord is saying, here is the offer. Christ came and he died and he rose again that you and I could receive new life. That we could be born again. See, true grace radically transforms from death to life. There is no more dramatic transformation. All of a sudden, everything has changed. Our way of thinking is different, our way of living, values, desires. You are born again. You are a new creation. Behold, the old has gone. Just think of the wonder. It's equally as incredible a miracle as the day that you were physically born. He has given us new new birth. And it's so important for us to grasp because He's going to build upon this as we go through this letter. He's talked about what God has done for us, but we need to get what it is that He's done in us so that we can truly understand what it is that He wants to do through us, to be His people. True grace radically transforms, and it continues to transform, not in a saving sense, but in a sanctification sense. You know, I just just got to get something off my chest for a moment, but I'm so looking forward to the day when I check the news reports and there is nothing about Donald Trump. Is anyone else feeling that way? We don't even live in the country and every single time I check the news, there's Donald Trump. And I don't think I've read one positive article about him yet. He's done nothing so far. 
And yet they're still finding something to blame him for and accuse him of. (sighs) Thank you, Lois. I had a point there. The lovely lady, Lady Lois distracted me, but it'll come. It'll come. Donald Trump. How do we even go there? Oh, here's the point. You see, we're so good at seeing all the sin out there, aren't we? Everything wrong that's wrong with everybody else. And that's what, you know, I was just so hopeful that when this election went the way that it did, that if nothing else, it would be a moment of the Lord revealing to the nation of America, hey, there is some stuff here. There's some stuff. It's not all issues out there. There's some stuff here that needs to be dealt with. It's like the exposing of the festering wound so that the surgeon can come and bring healing. But if he doesn't, what happens? Well, it only gets worse. And it's the same with this radical empowering grace that saves us. But God's saying, I want to do a work here. Before there's ever a work out here, there's got to be a work in us. That's the incredible power of His grace. Let's move on quickly. So I said there was two parts to what has been done. Number one is life, this incredible thing of He has given us life, spiritual life. We're alive to God. It's so different that we're living in a world that we know is not our home. We feel like we're sojourners. We'll talk more about that as we go on. The second thing is that new birth is a picture of identity. It always is, isn't it? New birth. In the physical, you are born with the DNA, with the resemblance of your parents. Now, I know science is trying to mess with that, and we've got cases of DNA from three different parents, and who knows what else is going on. But in the perfect world, birth is a picture of identity. You're born to parents, you're born to a people group, you're born into a nation. All of these things are part of your identity. They form your identity. And it's exactly the same with what this picture of spiritual birth is. And Peter gets at that, even at the beginning of verse 3, he says, Blessed be not only God, but God and Father. See, if we're born, who is it that has begotten us? Who, Who is it that is our Father? And Peter is saying, Blessed be God and Father. He is the one who has caused you to be born again. So this new birth is not just about life, but it's about a new identity. Who we are in Him, discovering what that means and what that looks like. So let me very quickly then outline, we've talked about what has been done, how has it been done, and this is important for us to grasp. So here we have, in verse 3, it says we're born again. Well, how did this happen? And Peter makes it very clear. He says, according to His being God the Father, His great mercy, He has caused us. Could He make it any clearer? So who is responsible for the new birth? Is it something here? Is it something we do? No, it's all about Him. It's His great mercy and His causing this to happen. What does mercy mean? The literal definition of mercy is receiving a gift that you don't deserve. Receiving something that you don't and you could never deserve. We had a moment at our Christmas meal, we're sitting around the table, and my brother-in-law, married to my youngest sister, he tells us this story, and you could tell he was, he was blown away by this account, but he said, you'll never guess what happened to me. They live up in Watson, north side of Canberra. And he said, I was walking down the street, it was either a day or two days before Christmas, 
He's walking his dog, he's minding his own business, and all of a sudden this car pulls up next to him, stops, winds down the window and says, I'm, I'm just driving around and I want to give you a gift of money. He didn't know this guy, he'd never seen him in his life before, but he said, it's obviously a pre-Christmas-giving you know, type event, and whether this guy was a Christian or not, I don't know. But he stopped and he said, here, I want to give you this money. I'm just giving things away and I want to give this to you. Well, my brother-in-law, he was blown away. He said, nobody has ever given me anything for nothing before. He told this story three or four times, throughout, like he was clearly affected by it. Like, why would someone do that? Why would some, I, I don't even know him. And he just came and he gave me a gift of money. I thought it would be a wonderful moment to preach the gospel, just there, free gift. Because none of my siblings are currently walking with the Lord, but I've been banned at family functions from preaching the gospel in words, so we moved on. But that is exactly the same picture here that Peter is saying. He's saying there's a new birth, there's new life, and there's new identity, but it's nothing to do with anything that you've done. It's His mercy. He stopped, He saw you in desperate need, unable to save yourself, and He offered you a free gift. He offered you an incredible gift of grace. It's the wonderful thing about this grace. It's radically transforming, yet there's no striving. You could never earn it. You could never deserve it. You can only receive it. So often we think, okay, well, I got that. Yep, I can't earn it. I can't do anything to achieve it, to work my way into it. I can only receive it. But once I receive it, that's when the hard work starts. That's when things get, that's when I've got to roll up my sleeves. That's when this Christian walk is all hard work. It is perseverance. It is tough. It's in the trenches. It's difficult. Now, let's be honest, there are some difficulties when you become a Christian. You don't become a Christian and everything becomes rosy. But look at this picture that Peter paints. Does he say you're born again to hard work, to struggle? To He says this, you're born again to living hope. Oh, that's all right. It's okay so far. Well, it must be now. Now comes the hard work. He continues, you're born again to an inheritance, imperishable. Well, that's okay. He continues, he says, and you know, there'll be trials, but remember the genuineness of your faith will be tested and that's worth more than gold. Oh, well, that's okay. And then he finishes this off with, you're born again to a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Oh, that sounds all right too. So where's the doing? Where is the doing in there? Where's the struggle? Where's the strife? Where's the hard work, Christian, grit your teeth, persevere, push through? The reality is that primarily this picture of being born again is so that you can be. That's it, so that you can be. Now, the doing always flows out of being. It does. You cannot be without doing, but you can certainly do without being. Does that make sense? You can. So, I would say to you, is, is that the picture of your Christian life? Is it living hope? Is it an imperishable, indestructible inheritance? Is it unmovable faith? Is it inexpressible joy? Would you say, oh, that's me. That is, you just described my life. That's amazing. That is the picture of me. Would we say that? 
because I do believe that that is the offer of this true grace, if we can just learn to receive. If we can learn to receive, not that it'll be easy, he said there'll be trials, there'll be tests, but if we can allow him to transform us, and if we can allow him to give us the gift of mercy that he desires. You see, we had this picture, and, and by the way, just so you know, the Sunday school is always really happy to keep your kids until quarter past, so that means I can preach a little bit longer sermons. It actually means so that if you want ministry at any of these services, you're welcome to. You don't need to feel like you've got to rush off at 12 o'clock, but just so you know, there's no need. If you need to leave at 12, you can. I'm going to finish my sermon, even if there's no one left. Keep going. So we, we had this... Um, We've had a few of these, actually, these great moments sitting out on the front porch of our house. And for those who don't know, we live just a little bit out of town, got this beautiful view over a valley. And one thing we see regularly, particularly when the winds come, is we see these soaring eagles, the most majestic, magnificent birds. If you've, I mean, I could sit there for hours and watch them. And so often they just swirl around the house and they just pick up a gust of wind and they're off. And the thing that always strikes you about it is how effortless. Like they, they just, they literally saw there. And you know, there's a promise in Isaiah that says, actually that picture of effortless soaring, that is something that he desires for us as his people. It says, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength and will mount up with wings as the eagles. Effortless soaring. And sometimes all we've got to do is just stop the striving and just ride the waves of His grace, the winds as they blow. Just set your sail and allow Him to propel you forward with His goodness and grace. If you're like me, we spend so much time just toil and stress and struggle. It's all hard work. And the Lord says, hey, just, just receive, just look up. Just look up. Allow my grace to radically transform you, to lift you up, and to soar into all that I have for you. So we've talked about what exactly has been done. It's life and identity. We've talked about how it's been done. And very quickly, there's just one thing I want to mention about why. What, what is the Lord's heart and intention? What can we learn and glean from this? If this is the heart of true grace... If this is what the Lord has desired to do in us, this new birth, this life, this identity as sons and daughters, this free gift, what, what is it then? If it's not for us to strive and struggle and talk, what is the heart of the Father? Because wouldn't salvation be sufficient? Redemption? I mean, why new birth? What is it about that new birth, this new birth, that is important? And I've been thinking a lot about this particular thought, and I'll give it to you. If it helps, wonderful. If it doesn't. But who is it that represents you, that reflects you more than anyone else on the planet? Normally, it's your children. Someone nod. Is that, is that correct? Your children are the ones that bear your DNA. The children are the ones that reflect and resemble you and Parents love to say, oh, look, he's got my nose and he's got your eyes and he's got my smile and they physically carry a resemblance to you. 
They're the ones that know your heart, that reflect the essence of who you are, certainly in a perfect world. And it says in Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 1 that Jesus, when he came, he was the perfect image. Literally means the perfect representation. You could not get any more a perfect representation of who God was as he walked upon the planet. In fact, Jesus himself, John 14, he said to his disciples, if you've seen me, and they had, he's standing in their midst, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he went on to say, as the Father has sent me, well, what did Jesus come to do as the image of God to not only proclaim the kingdom, but to reveal the heart of the King, the heart of the Father? He says, in the same way that I've been sent, so you will be sent also. And Catherine preached a great message last year on being the sent ones. So here's my thought in all of that. You see, the Lord, I believe, is looking for a people who will not just do the stuff, who will not just proclaim the kingdom with their words, but He is looking for a people who will proclaim the kingdom with their lives, by who they are. If the Lord had wanted someone to do something for Him, He could have sent the angels. He could have. I mean, the angels, they're far more effective than us. We read in 2 Kings chapter 19, 185 Assyrian soldiers were wiped out by one angel. I mean, you don't mess with these guys. If God had wanted someone to do something for Him, He would have sent the angels. But instead, this unveiling of His glory and His goodness... The revelation of his heart, it doesn't come through a people who do, it comes through a people who be, a people who are his sons and daughters. In fact, if you read on 1 Peter, it talks about in verse 12 there, it says, this salvation, it's so incredible, it's so amazing, the angels look in on wonder. At this revelation, this unveiling of the sons, the angels are in awe. Why is that? Well, the angels can do many things, but one thing they cannot do is know what it is to be a son and a daughter. They can never know what it is to bear the heart, to be born again with his identity and to reveal and reflect his heart. I, like many of you, I'm sure love a lot of the teaching that's come out of the, the vineyard movement and, uh, you know, we're very thankful to John Wimber and that whole movement for even a lot of the core values that we have as a church. And he always had a phrase that went something like, we, we want to do the stuff. We want to be doing the stuff. That was his passion. Like, we want to see the power of God move. We want to see healings. We want to be released in prophetic. And that's wonderful. I'm so for doing the stuff. But I think sometimes the problem is that we make doing the stuff the pinnacle. Like that's where it's at. If we could just arrive personally and as a church, if we could arrive in that place where miracles just broke out, you know, where signs and wonders, where people just prophesied and, you know, there was salvations, like, like if we could get to that level of then we know we've made it. The problem is we've got this a little bit backwards because God doesn't love us so that we might know His power. He empowers us so that we might know His love. That is the ultimate. The ultimate is not just to be a people who do the stuff, although I want to be someone who does the stuff. The ultimate is that we would be a people who reveal His heart. The people would look at us, and like Jesus said, if you've seen me, 
You've seen the Father. That would be the ultimate. Now, I pray that there is a day where we as a church, we see miraculous. We see God breaking through. We see people come for healing because they know that the power and presence of the God who breaks every chain is here. I pray that we see all of that. But even more, I pray that we would always be a people where people would come and they say, you know what? I encountered the Father. I saw Him. I was in your midst and I saw you. And when I saw you, I saw the Father saw the heart of the eternal God, that we would be this people. So let me leave you with this thought as we conclude this morning. What is it then that is reflected in our lives? What is it? Would someone look at your life and say, I look at you and I see the Father. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Or would they say, I look at you, And I see anything but. Because that's what God wants to do. And Peter's saying that here is the true grace that reveals what God has done for us, but that invites us to new life. So he would do what he wants to do in us so that he could do what he wants to do through us. So that people would see in us him reflected. This is... The, two, the true grace. And these are the two pinnacles, I believe, that Peter is trying to get across as he begins this letter. So let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we just invite you this morning. We just pray that as we bring this time to a conclusion, Lord, that your Spirit would work in our hearts and our lives. We thank you that as Peter has proclaimed so eloquently and so powerfully that you're the God who has offered us the one thing we really need, which is new life, a new identity, a grace that so radically transforms, it gets a hold of us, it picks us up when we fall, enables us to deal with stuff so that we might truly reflect your heart. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a people individually and corporately that would be able to make that proclamation that if you've seen me, if you've been in our midst, then you would see the Father reflected there. And I, for one, and I hope others as well, Lord, just want to make a commitment to allow you to do whatever you need to do in us so that you might do what you truly desire to do through us. We pray in Jesus' name, Jesus' name.